Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to PodBytes. I'm Valentina Kaladina, and I'm here with my co-host, Ariel Nissenblatt. Hi, Ariel. Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, and we've got a really great show here for you today. We are live on CastBox every Wednesday, but now it's Tuesday. Uh, still the same time slot, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. PodBytes is a live interactive show where we talk about the podcast industry. This is episode number 14. This is Livecast, so feel free to participate in the conversation. For questions and comments, please call it or text. It would be really great to hear from you. In PodBytes, we invite investors, podcasters, and other key opinion leaders to share their insights into the podcast industry. The show is recorded live and uploaded as a podcast episode afterwards. You can engage with other listeners and guests by dialing in or writing comments in real time. You can also send virtual gifts to the host to support the show. You can find previous episodes of the show in Replace. Go to CastBox and search for PodBytes. Livecast is a feature within the CastBox app. It enables anyone to open a chat room and host a show. Listeners can tune in to listen, and then they can also interact with hosts by texting and even calling in. The purpose of Livecast is to make podcasting into more of an active medium. Hosts can now engage with their audiences in real time and audiences can chat directly with their favorite hosts. A week ago, we were joined by Xander Sherman. So if you missed our previous episodes, please check it out in replace. Xander Sherman is the host CBC Uncovers fourth season, which is called The Cat Lady Case. We spoke about his career in journalism, his experience getting into audio journalism, the power of podcasting, his music career, and so much more. Check it out. The Cat Lady case had some relevance now because Zander reporting actually put pressure on the Ontario Provincial Police to hold a press conference on the case. It's a very exciting story. In other news, CastBox will be at the Podcast Movement in Orlando. So if you haven't booked your tickets yet, hurry up. Podcast Movement is a great way to meet all the important people in podcasting. Podcast Movement will take place in Orlando from August 13th to 16th. It's going to be a huge event with lots of workshops, panel discussions, a few parties, and a lot more. The CastBox team will be there, and we'd love for you to come and say hello. We're running a contest during podcast movement to encourage y'all to become live casters. Come on by and learn about it. There are also some really amazing prizes that you will not want to miss. Today, we are joined by Jeffrey Hazlett, who is a primetime television host of C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett, an executive perspective on C-Suite TV. Also, he's the host of the business podcast, Old Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio, and another one called The Hero Factor. Jeffrey is a global business celebrity, speaker, best-selling author, and chairman and CEO of C-Suite Network, which is the home of the world's most trusted network of C-Suite leaders. Hazlett is a well-traveled public speaker, former Fortune 100 CMO, and author of four best-selling business books, which are Think Big, Act Bigger, The Rewards of Being Relentless. Another one is called Running the Gauntlet. The third one is called The Mirror Test. And the fourth is called The Hero Factor, How Great Leaders Transform Organizations and Create Winning Cultures. Hazlett is an inductee into the National Speakers Association's Hall of Fame. As a leading business expert, Hazlett is frequently cited in Forbes, Success, Marketing Week, and shares his executive insight 
and commentary on television networks like Bloomberg and Fox Business. Hazlett is a former Bloomberg contributing editor and primetime host and has appeared as a guest celebrity judge on NBC's Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump for three seasons. He's an expert in business turnaround, marketing, and brand building. Hi, Jeffrey. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Great. In PodBytes, we are talking about podcasting, and we cover this topic from different angles. Today, we will try to shed some light on how much interesting stuff can happen around podcasting and how to build something bigger around it. So let's start from talking about business. For those people who don't know our today's guests, Jeffrey had worked for Eastman Kodak as an executive for a long time. Jeffrey, you served as a chief marketing officer and a vice president, and you left the company in 2010. Since then, you never worked in corporations. After Kodak, why corporate roles were not so attractive to you anymore? <laughs> That's a good question. I tell you, I, I don't like a lot of rules. When I was at Kodak, I was a Fortune 100 officer which is a fairly elite group. But, um, you know, I managed to, we had a budget of about $187 billion. My, my marketing budget was about $17 billion. I had about 7,500 marketing people in, the, in our company. Oh, wow. And I just, I just decided that it was time for me to be, you know, what I really am, and that's an entrepreneur. So I like starting businesses. And so when I left, I, I went on to, to host my own TV show on Bloomberg Television. I was a primetime host and had the number one show. But, you know, while I was there, I had more people watching me online than were watching through, you know, through broadcast. And so I knew the digital world was there. So I said, look, we need to start a, a digital TV network. And so that led us to start C-Suite TV. And then, of course, a few years later, we started C-Suite Radio and are doing podcasts uh, all over the world. I like the story. But even before Kodak, you had a couple of your own companies. Do you think yeah. there are different types of personalities people of one type are okay for working in a corporation but another one is more like rebel type or at least they're not suitable for corporate roles and it's just so difficult for them to conform yeah it's it, you know, have a bigger company especially when you've got thousands or tens of thousands or in our case hundreds of thousands of employees and there, there are a lot of rules. And even, you know, I had a tough time with that when I was a CMO because I'm kind of, a, I was an outsider. And of course, that's why I was brought into the company. So I do, yeah, I do think there are certain types of companies that are suited for certain people and, and, and certain kinds of companies suited for others. And it's not always, not always your cup of tea, as they might say in, in England, that, that, that it fits you. So you have to find the things that fit you. I enjoyed my time at, at the corporate. I miss it a lot. Um, I'm, I serve on oh, numerous really? corporate boards today, public yeah, public boards and, and private boards. But no, I, I like running my own thing where I don't have to report to other people. I mean, you always report to people in some way, shape or form, whether it's advertisers or bank or, you know, uh, regulators. But in essence, for most part, day to day, it's it's my own thing. I like that. Mm -hmm. Marlboro Man is saying Kodak was a huge household name in the old days. Very true. It was. It was a you know probably the most favorable yeah most favorable brand in the history of the world at one time. A lot of people refer to Apple being that you know that very um, iconic brand, but if you think back, Kodak was times ten times the value and size of, of Apple in in those dollars back then as compared to today. 
So it was a much bigger company. Right. Uh, let's talk uh, about C-Suite. You started C-Suite, as you already mentioned, at the same time uh, you were working as contributing editor on Bloomberg TV. Was that job the biggest inspiration for you? Was that the reason why you started C-Suite? Well, it was one of them. Uh, obviously, I knew the show. The show rocketed to being the number one you know, business show. So that showed that we had a good audience. But at the same time, We didn't have a big enough audience, and I wanted to take it much bigger than what it was. As I mentioned earlier, um, you know, we had more people watching us, you know, online, digitally, than we're watching, you know, every day on broadcast. So that meant that we had a lot of room for growth. It meant that we had a market there, and how could we exploit it or take advantage of it? And so that led us to, you know, creating C-Suite TV. We have today 59 TV shows. We're on Apple We're on Roku, we're on Amazon Fire, we're on, you know, airlines like United, WestJet, we're on cruise ships, we're in hotel rooms, we're in elevators, we're in doctor's offices, wherever wherever I can find a screen, Valentina, I, I try to put our content. Right. But you guys are not on YouTube. Could you talk a little bit nope. more of being publicly available on YouTube versus being on this exclusive uh, networks? Yeah. So when you one of the key things when you think about C-suite executives is they tend to they tend to stick to themselves. That's one. Two, they they want trusted information. And so one of the key things you want to do when you're serving up content, whether it be on a podcast or in this case, video or did, you know, visual content, you want to go where the people are. C-suite executives are not watching videos on YouTube, period. I've got all kinds of data, all kinds of <laughs> shows that, that show that. They'll, they'll go, they might go watch a, a clip or they'll go watch something where, hey, how do I do this? But they're not watching television news or what you would call uh, business content on YouTube. And so they want a trusted network or a trusted environment, much like they, they want, like with podcasts, you don't go listen to podcasts just everywhere. You go and to a trusted platform like CastBox. So the same thing holds true for video, and even more so because um, in many cases, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you can't watch YouTube from some out of most big corporate in enterprises. They stop that. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense to build a, a network for people to watch of the kinds of people that I want, and they can't watch it there. So that's the main reason. So in this case, how do you make sure that you grow your audience? Well, the biggest part of it is by building a trusted network. It's a lot of our network has grown by word of mouth. That's our number one is other mm -hmm. executives saying, hey, did you see this show? You know, or did you see this show? That's where we have a lot of growth. Um, and then we, we do we have, a, you know, we have 350,000 members today, um, but we influence millions. So we also broadcast on television as well. So for our TV network, we broadcast in uh, 52, million, 52 to 58 million homes. And so we take our, our content out to where the people are. So in our case, with business audiences, where are they at? Hotel rooms. So we put our content in hotel rooms. Um, what else other devices do they use? Apple. They trust Apple. They trust Roku. They trust Amazon Fire. So we put our content there. Or they fly in first class in United or in WestJet, or, or Swoop Air, or other airlines, we put our content in front of them there as well. So that's what we do. 
the C-Suite Network was founded by you and uh, other two people, mm -hmm. Carl Post and Thomas White, if I'm not mistaken. That's how correct. Did, how did you form your partnership? Well, these are two gentlemen that I knew for many, many years. I'd worked with Tom. Um, I actually worked for Tom at one time. He was my CEO of a company back in the 90s when we were partners in uh -huh. a company that was funded by Sheldon Adelson, who was one of the richest men in the world. And Sheldon was our business partner. And um, we were doing work there. So I knew Tom from that. And then um, I left that company back in 2001 or roughly before that time period, just a little bit before then. And then I've known Carl um, equally as long for all those years, for decades. And when I went to Kodak, he joined me as an executive at Kodak. And then when I left Kodak, we decided to leave and he followed me months afterwards. And we decided to start a, a public relations and marketing company called Tall Grass, uh, which stands mm -hmm. for, if you want to run with the big dogs, you got to learn to pee in the tall grass. That's what it stands for. And then with that, we started, you know, we started the C-Suite Network. So you guys have been working together for a very long time, but from what I can see, you changed your business model a few times. How many times did you pivot your business model and why, why was that? Well, you're always changing the business model as you go. We, you know, and the way I look at, the way I look at building businesses, I typically say, I'm going to build the plane as I'm flying it because I want to, I want to continue to make it the best I possibly can. I know I can build the, the structure of the plane and I can get it air, you know, up in the air, but now I've got to make it faster and bigger and quicker and, and lighter. And, and so what you do is you tend to, you know, figure out, you start with one idea and then usually that idea morphs over time. And the key um, is to always make sure you're making those changes as you go. So when you look at it, you would say the business model has changed. I would say it's been the same. The business model is to always mm -hmm. make money and build value, okay? And, uh, and, and, to, and to be valuable to those people that we serve. So, so I don't think we've changed the business model. I think we've enhanced it. But I understand, you know, the way in which you would look at it and say, yeah, you've changed your business model. Yeah, I mean, I don't obviously, I don't know how it looks from inside, but to me, it looks like at the beginning, you probably were focusing more on creating the uh, TV network. And then you started offline network, which already has more than 5000 members in it. So can that's, you tell, talk a little bit yeah. more about this uh, offline network? Yeah, so what we do, well, we, we basically go look at it in three stages. So the first was to create the network itself. The next is the platform, which we've been doing when we create C-Suite Book Club, C-Suite Academy, C-Suite Advisors, you know, and various groups that we have, along with C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. Although I wish I would have called C-Suite Radio C-Suite Podcast, but nonetheless, that's, that's something I learned about. Um, but we own all we own all the trademarks and all those names, which is really good. But um, I would have changed it a little bit. But so we've we've started off change, starting with the network, and so we're continuing to enhance the network, moving to the platform, and eventually uh, into a marketplace. And the marketplace will be where you can exchange services and sell things and buy things and uh, with other trusted partners. I think mm -hmm. that's the real value that we want to provide over time. But the, the offline network is we have many, many councils and groups of membership. So while we might have 350,000 members, we have, you know, many thousands of paid members 
that are all part of what we call councils or subject matter groups or specialty groups or geographical groups of executives who get together to solve a problem or, you know, to, to provide education to one another. So again, how, trusted networks. Uh-huh. How much is the fee? If I can it's ask. It's anywhere from a thousand dollars. No, no, we, we, we were very public about it. So our, our fees are anywhere from a thousand dollars up to about a hundred thousand dollars in membership, depending on what, what kind of group you're joining. Mm. And what is the typical size of the company that can become a member? Uh, you have to at least be, well, It, for the for most C-suite companies, they they're between about two million to into the billions. Twenty one percent of our membership is a billion dollars or greater. Twenty two or twenty seven percent of our membership is a hundred million to a billion, and fifty one percent of our membership is under a hundred million. And most mm-hmm. of them, you know, if you look at the real range of them, we, we have some startup businesses. It just depends on what kind of business you are and what you want to do our hero club which is aimed at the after the book the hero factor we have many startups we have many mid mid cap or what you, you know companies anywhere from 10 million to 100 million and then we and then we have um larger enterprise operations that are 500 million mm-hmm. or, or, or several billion one of our listeners uh is asking about kodak let's talk a little bit more about uh, your experience back then Marlboro man sure. is asking uh, how different is the old marketing practices in the kodak times versus new ones in the digital era <laughs> uh it's a great question marlboro man um and by the way i know the original marlboro man who used to be clint clint roberts clint roberts This was a former United States congressman. Before that, he was a rancher from Presho, South Dakota. And he was the Marlboro man that you saw in the commercials in the 60s and 70s. And he is a, he's a, friend of, a former friend of mine because he's passed uh, oh. from South Dakota. And, and, oh, was, and he was a real cowboy. In fact, one time he got, yeah, he got very uh, uh, drunk and, and rode his horse into a bar. And uh, that was a well-known, a well-known deal that he did one time many years ago. But, um, you know, when I got there, most of the, the, the changes were starting to happen in the digital world. But yet we hadn't we were kind of stuck in the old ways. And I'm the first one that named the very first chief blogger ever. I took the company. In fact, I'm one of the first thousand people who ever got on Twitter And I, I got on that because my team told me about it and we started looking at it and we used social media, you know, products. We used great digital uh, tech tactics to do it. We used television shows like Celebrity Apprentice. In fact, we were the ones that came up with that show to help them launch that show. Uh, it's a pretty well-known fact that we were one of the early backers of that show off the ground. And that was a different way of being able to market. So, We started putting Kodak back on the map in, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, utilizing a lot of digital tools that no one else was using at the time. And I was using listening soft, you know, social media listening software, Radio 6, if you remember that product before it was bought by, by Salesforce many years ago. We were one of the first customers to, to deploy, you know, enterprise listening tools. In fact, I named the very first chief listening officer, which I took a lot of, uh, a lot of, crap about uh, from the media because they thought I was just making something up. Who needs a chief listing officer? But now almost every single company in the world, you know, has someone who's paying attention to social media and right. listening for conversations and driving, 
you know, engagement in different ways. So yeah, it was a lot, it was really different. And, uh, you know, when you got a company that's pretty stuck in the old ways, to make the transition was really tough. You, had, you know, you have Mar- Marlboro Man, you have all of these people in the company who I call are captains of no, who oh. just sit around and say, no, we can't do that, or we tried that once before, or, or that'll never work here. And so you have to literally go around and find those people and kill them off or, you know, <laughs> outmaneuver them. And even when you're the one of the top four officers in the company, even if you're the CEO, you have people in your company who stop you all the time at the lowest level because you can only move as fast as your slowest common denominator when it comes to these kinds of changes. So great question. Great question. Yeah, thanks for asking. Later on, we'll talk more about the corporate environment. Jim is saying hello to Jeff and Valentina. Hi, Jim. Thanks for joining. But here I'm uh, also joined by my another colleague, Ariel. And we would like to talk now about podcasts because podcast is an important part of your business. Uh, we love talking about podcasts and we are curious to dive deep into it. Yeah, so uh, here I am to talk about the podcast aspect of your life, Jeffrey. Before I do, listeners of this show will know that every time I come to talk to our interviewees about podcasting, I go on a little rant about how much I love podcasts and how much we at CastBox love podcasts. And also, all of our guests are big podcast people. So um, before, before we jump into some uh, hard-hitting questions... Um, do you mind telling us a podcast that you listen to that is not your own podcast? Oh, my gosh. I listen to so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, I literally listen to a couple podcasts a day. Me mostly, too. <laughs> and, and, and mostly just to listen to different ones. You know, um, I, I, I always like to listen to John Lee Dumas. Um, I always like, enjoy when I can catch one of his. But but primarily, I'm list, Ariel, I'm listening for new kinds of podcasts. When, you, when you're, the, you're the head of the network, right? In this case, we got 139. We're the largest business network of podcasts for business podcasts in the world. Wow. And, and, you know, a year and a half ago, we didn't exist. And so I'm always looking for new talent, new shows. I literally, uh, before I got on the show, you know, listened into two different other podcasts. I can't even tell you their names. Yeah. But, but I listen, and if I like them, then I send them immediately to the team saying, get on this. See if we can get them in in the package. Wow! Yeah. But I, I like history. I like the one. There's a, there's one on history. I can't even remember the name. I'm so bad about names. I I have to ask my wife what is her nephew's name all the time. Things like that because <laughs> I'm so bad on names. But uh, um, but I have so much going on in my head. I'm always you know I'm like a whirling dervish. So I'm always I, I have about two two seconds of my attention and then I'm moving on to something else pretty quick. But so you're not the chief listening officer anymore, I take it? No, not no, not anymore. <laughs> you, you know, you have to, you have to, like in a, like in a podcast, you like, you got two hosts, but you got a producer, you got somebody else doing this, you got, you got different roles you yeah. have to play. And, you got to be in a lot of different this- uh, places at once. John Lee Dumas, we had him a couple of days ago here on Livecast doing his own live show. Yeah. I did a- John, I did John show pro- yeah, I think I did John's show right after he first got started. Um, I did it, it had to be a couple years ago, maybe even three. I can't even remember how long ago, but it's been a long time since I did John's show. And then actually I, he called me not more than, you know, four or five months ago, asked my advice on something else. 
Oh, wow. you know, and, and, and that's the way it happens in this network. You know, it's um, even today, you know, I could t- talk to you about playing a role today. We had our, our, what we call an operations meeting of our, of our podcast team. And I didn't even join it. And I said, is there, you know, cause I went to the, my head of the network and I said to Greg, I said, Greg, who oversees our TV and our podcast, I said, are there any red flags? Are there anything that I need to be aware of that you need to bring to my attention that's going to cause you problems to meet the goals that you've got in front of you? And he goes, no. I said, well, then I don't need to join the meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, yeah. so you, you have, you have to learn when to step away and do the right kinds of things, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. I just want to make you aware of a podcast newsletter that's going around. It just started a few weeks ago. It's called Pod Boxer, and it's specifically for business podcasts. So every once a week, yeah, once a week, the the curator puts together new business podcasts that they've found, and I found it to be really helpful. And I think it'll definitely be helpful for you. Um, I just wrote it. I just wrote it down, and my team my team is listening right now, so they should get on that one right now. Cool. So um, I want to hop into some questions about uh, your podcast experience. Um, You've been in the business world for a long time. And in the grand scheme of the podcast world, you've been podcasting for a long time since uh, I think 2015. So what made you decide to start your first podcast? Well, uh, it was financial for me. So Mm -hmm. as opposed to a lot of other people who who do it more out of the love of the art, I, I, I came to love the art. After I got it going, you know, I was asked by CBS to be the anchor on CBS radio for a podcast network that they wanted to create. And so they had Carson Daly, mm-hmm. uh, my, uh, who did the, the pop culture. They had Boomer Esiason, who did the sports. He was the sports anchor. They had, uh, oh, geez, I'm, I'm Carly, Carly, no, be I can't remember. She's a very famous actress. And I, this mm-hmm. tells you, I, I'm so into business that I don't know any of these people. Oh, Jennifer <laughs> Beale. Her name was Jennifer oh. Beale. And, and they had Jennifer Beale and, who did the health and, and, uh, and life. And they asked me to be the business anchor. And we launched it at the CES Consumer Electronics Show in, mm-hmm. in 2015. And so we, we went down the path with that. And so I went out and got big sponsors. I had, you know, a number of big sponsors like um, Dunkin' Donuts and a whole bunch of other sponsors who, who paid us to be able to create this kind of great content. So I went at it from a business perspective. And then I just found out, man, I really enjoy the interviews. I really enjoy the interactions. I really enjoy the fans. You know, because I have fans just like you have here, like Gene's popping in and saying hi or sending us some champagne or whatever it might be. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, and what's really cool is, is it becomes this great community where you can have this great engagement and conversations. And many times I, you know, because I interview people like Gene Simmons, The Rocker, or, or Pierce Morgan. I you heard know, that or, one. Yeah, which was that was cool. That, yeah, that was my first one. And know. you know, your your first one you would change so much different than what you do on your four hundredth one, right? Of course. But and, it was still and a that's fun. the way you, you yeah. learn. You learn. Well, he almost started crying on that show. Um, I got <laughs> him to talk about a story about when he it was the first time he remembered doing business because he's a pretty good business guy. Oh, that's and cool. he and I were on uh, going up the mountain with his friend. Was that that story? Yeah. Yeah, with with his friend Jaime, and they sold cactus fruit at yes. a at a butt stop. And his mother, yeah, right. and, and he made like and he made like ninety three cents or dollar fifteen or something. Mm-hmm. But back then, you know, of course, he was in Israel, he was living in Israel, so it was shekels. And 
and he and he and right. he laid out his money in front of his mother, and his mother said, "Where did you get this?" Like she thought he had <laughs> stolen it or something, and he told her this story, and then he told me then what she said, and she said, "Oh, you're my little man," Aww. and he. And he, you know, literally you could hear him crying on the phone. Yeah. That was a very poignant yeah. moment. And so I love moments like that where I get somebody to talk to me about things they never talked about or, or yeah. to give me an insight into their soul or to their mind or to, or their, to their heart, you know, about what they really are like. And I, I like those moments. I like that a lot. Yeah. So that, that brings me to my next question. Um, your, your first podcast was called All Business, which kind of insinuates that that's the only thing you're going to talk about. But you just mentioned that, you know, in your first interview, you're talking about feelings and you're talking about crying and you're talking about mothers. So um, what are some valuable lessons that you gleaned from that first podcast? Well, all that is business. It yeah. all it all makes up who you are and what you are. And and it's the makeup of the people that drives the values of the people we have in business. And and so, you know, I, I try to talk about the things that got them where they are today and how do they do the business themselves. So if I get a celebrity on, I want to talk about a little bit more about them and how they make money. What's the way they make money? You know, or I have the guy that makes flour from crickets or uh, one oh. of the biggest, yeah, that was, that's wicked. I mean, you have to have like know, a million. I I'm very into that. I'm, I'm a yeah, vegetarian, so I'm trying to figure out some alternative uh, protein sources. It's good. Yeah. It's good. And it's very good. It's not bad. I, I ate it live on the air. You wow. Know? Um, yeah. So that's kind of fun. And I'm a, I'm a bacon eating, scotch drinking, you know, host. So there you go. Um, Love that. You know, yeah. <laughs> But, so, um, but, you know, hey, by the way, this is some other things that really, really help you that you learn. Let me give you a good example of this. This is another thing I learned from podcasting. So by studying the analytics of our show, I started finding out, you know, the third largest country listening to my podcast outside the U.S. and Canada was India. Huh. So that nice. changes what I say, because, you know, look, you got to you got to be respectful of your audience. And so, you know, I used to talk about after the show, I'm going to go out for a big steak and some scotch, you know. Mm. And well, OK, well, if you're Hindu, you don't eat steak, you know. Yeah. So, That's you know, it, it, you, you want to be, in, you know, conscious to that this is their religion. And so so now I say I'm going to go for Bindi and a little whiskey. You know, so, so, there now, you go. so to all the podcast hosts listening, it's good every once in a while to check out your stats and see uh, who's listening, where they're listening from and all that. I listen every day. I watch them every day. So, you know, nice. I have a, you know, a, a background on my, on my screen if I'm in the office and that's going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm looking at it all the time. Uh, nice. So just a, just a fun question to break it up a little bit. Who, who was your favorite interview from uh, all business? I'm sure they were all your favorite, but who, who really stands out to you? You know, it had to be Piers Morgan. You know, I, I, there's things I like about Pierce and there's things I don't like about him. The way in which he had the conversation, he's very smart. And so, and even when we disagreed, and by the way, he and I disagreed very strongly on, on firearms and uh, the ownership of firearms. Because oh, yeah. I'm from South Dakota, you know, I'm a hunter, you know, my father's in the military. It's a different, you know, we all have different perspectives. But you know what? We had, we had a great debate and we had a great conversation mm -hmm. And we didn't scream at each other, and we didn't right. we didn't throw things at each other. You know, that, then that was fun. And 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 he's just smart. He's a smart guy. He's a smart ass as well. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> you know, but but I enjoyed the conversation. And and he and I met on. He and I actually had the same agent, and that agent passed away last week. Oh. 
And, oh, wow. and um, you know, yeah, I sent him a personal note because John was a John, our agent, John uh, Ferreter. John was a was probably Pierce's best friends. They were very good friends together. And and I, John, John and I are acquaintances, and he's my agent. And it's a business relationship. We never never got real personal, although I, I consider him a friend, but not like you know, not like Pierce considered him. And Pierce wrote right. a wonderful article, and it was a it was very touching. So I that was in Vanity Fair last week, and so I sent oh, him wow. a note. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, yeah, so you make a lot of connections through the through the podcasting world. That's nice to hear. Where well, do you see yeah. the podcast industry going in the next few years? A lot of us are trying to make predictions. There's a big podcast conference coming up next week called Podcast Movement, yeah. um, where a lot of the panels are going to be focused on the future of podcasting. Um, so what would you, if you had to make a prediction for the next five or ten years, what would you say? What's, ha- what's going to happen with podcasts? That all the predictions will be wrong. <laughs> the, the, and, the, and the reason I say that is, and they, by the way, podcast movement's a great, a great show. Podfest is another one that I really yeah. like a lot. So the I won't, unfortunately, won't be at podcast movement. Some of my team will be there. Oh, nice. The, we'd love yeah, to be there. yeah, we'd love to. Um, the the reason I say it, the, all the predictions will be wrong is we're still in such an infancy, even though it's big. Everybody, you look, it's big, it's huge. The numbers are off the chart, but it, it's nowhere close to what it will be. Right. This is like the 1920s of radio. This is like the 1950s of television. Okay, this is like the 1970s of cable. So we're in no way, shape, or form anywhere close to what it will be in the future. And for us to make predictions about it, other than it's just going to be freaking huge, that's the only one that's going to be right. Okay, and so All right. um, that's good news for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll make good money. It's good be good money, good listeners, and we're just going to be everywhere. It's a you know, it's amazing to listen and watch. You know, we look at stats all the time. I have one podcast where twenty eight percent on one of our podcasts on our network, twenty eight percent of the people that listen to this podcast listen off an Apple Watch. That's huge. Wow. Yeah, that is Who very are, interesting. Those are yeah. the joggers. Exactly, and so it's yeah. a customer service show. Which, you know, I, I told the host this. I said, if you looked at your stats, of course, he had not. And I said, hey, do you, you, know, you better look at your stats because 28% of your listeners are listening on an Apple Watch. He goes, what? I said, yes, yeah, so that means, what's that mean? I, he goes, it means they're working out. I said, exactly. Yeah, def- that's another plug for all of our people listening in. Definitely make sure to check out your analytics and uh, play to those analytics. So my next question is, you have one podcast, now you have another podcast you have a whole network that's creating business podcasts, curating them, looking for more. Should businesses and business executives continue creating podcasts? Do you like this trend and do you see it continuing? Yes. And without question, I see it uh, continuing. Now, with business podcasts, it's a little different than like a consumer podcast or uh, right. an educational podcast. And that's where you need to understand if you're going to get into the podcast business on the business side. This is not a game about you know eyeballs and ears. It's nice to have those, but it's really about hearts and minds. Your numbers right. will be a lot different than they will be if you're a consumer or, or you know like a serial killer uh, podcast or, or a history podcast or a comedy podcast. It, it, they the just the numbers are different. So you have to look right. at positioning a podcast and you owning the category or you owning the area or you being the subject matter expert and then utilize it to enhance your business. But but you must at all time, you know, provide a great product, or no one's going to tune in. And oh, so, totally yeah, without that. question, if you're a business, if you're a, you 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 should, oh yeah, you should get into this. 
And if you're not into it, you should at least be advertising on it because that's where, you're, oh, yeah. that's where your that's customers are listening. Yeah. And if you're a podcaster who is looking for people to advertise on their show, don't be afraid to reach out to businesses that you love and think that your demographics would also enjoy because those potential advertisers might not even know yet about podcasts. So jump in there. Yeah. That's another possibility. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to you got to remember a lot of pe- a lot of people in business that are a little bit older can't even spell podcast yet. Right. right. So, <laughs> um, so they're 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 going to learn it. They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out how to download one and do things. I actually thought I could probably put together a really good video for for more older executives how to download a podcast. We should talk about that because I'm one of my predictions. Speaking of predictions, is. Um, that podcasts in the next few years, boomers are going to be the next huge generation to take on podcasts. And um, that's, I definitely want to capitalize on that, you know, in a money way, but then also in a nice way, because I genuinely think that they will enjoy them and it'll brighten their lives. (laughs) Well, let me give a shout out for CastBox because I, I recently downloaded the, the app and recently downloaded, created an account. And it was very simple, but much simpler than any other, player, any other player that I have seen um, on the market today. And so they've done a really good job. It's an interesting to, you know, to you're on this platform, but to watch what they're doing, uh, real serious players, um, solid operators. And, and if I were their competition, look out because they're going to clean some clocks. I appreciate that very much. Um, yeah, thank now, you. I'm going to pass you over to Valentina, but I'll, I'll give a nice transitional question, which is, um, could you give us a little bit of a like a maybe a one minute description of your newest podcast, which is the Hero Factor? Yeah, we're focusing in on those things that company leaders do that take over where good to great leaves off, and that's the Hero Factor. We notice that those that uh, operate with that Hero Factor earn more money, gross more money, have happier employees, more engaged customers, vendors who want to do business with them. And overall, just succeed a lot better. And so we've got what we've called the Hero Club, which is part of our C-suite network. And so we wrote the book around these special leaders that we see in each community. And so we talk about the trends and and the values. And we find that values are a key part of it. So we talk about the real value that these leaders of companies do. No No business owner I know wakes up and says, I can't wait to be a hero. Nobody says that. But what they do want to do is run hero companies, and that's what we talk about in the Hero Factor. So it's a show we've been playing with. I'm taping uh, right now about an uh, episode of, almost a day as we get our inventory up and get ready to roll. So And, and we're bringing the all-business show back into the forefront, too, because at this in the Hero Factor, we want all-business to be um, a little bit more of an iconic show where we can be a little bit more hard-hitting with some of the, some of the business the stuff that's going on out there. Okay, uh, Jeffrey, I was curious about your two podcasts. In my opinion, uh, The Hero Factor is really different. And my impression was that you started uh, The Hero Factor because the idea behind it fits your current business goals better. So to me, it seems that you would like to talk about more leadership stuff, about more about people development, more about some bigger and non-material things. Is my guess correct? That is right. In all the interviews that I've done for TV, for radio, for leadership, for magazines, the one key comment that people talk about is talent and talk about people. And it's time for companies to put people over profit. 
And that's what that's at the core of what the hero factor is about. And it's the values related to the people and the values related to the way in which they serve others. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's a great, great thing, Valentina. You kind of get to a certain, a certain level of, of income and a certain level of thing where you start thinking about these things as legacy and you start thinking about these things as what could I do different or how can I have a bigger impact? And so the hero factor is really around that as opposed to the other show, the all business show. Actually, on one show, I had I had a, a gentleman on the show one time talk about women and said in the financial mm-hmm. industry, they're like tethered goats, meaning like Jurassic Park, where they tethered the goat to the T-Rex. So it was the most offensive thing I've ever heard a, a man say, especially publicly. And so I, I threatened to punch him in the throat. I actually said if he was there, I would have punched him in the throat. Uh, he made me, I said, oh. you sicken me. And I, you know, so I, so that show typically is a little bit harder <laughs> than the hero factor, which is a lot, a lot more around the values and the kind of things I'd rather talk about. Yeah. Okay. So then comes my next question and I'm glad you uh, started talking about that. In most of the organizations, HR is seen as a function that has some responsibility over nurturing leaders. You know, HR people create talent pool. They are involved in strategic decisions. Uh, they take care of the corporate culture. But you think HR is more an impediment. Could you clarify your opinion on HR function in the organization? <laughs> you've really done your homework. I, I applaud you. 100%, I applaud you she very really loudly. Uh, yeah, okay. I, you know, HR is, you know, is, is, is not a leading organization in the company. It, it is a, it's typically where you've, they've got a lot of room for improvement because most HR functions that I've seen are, are the champions of no. And rather than set up systems and processes to let people achieve, they typically limit people as opposed to setting them free. And so, Um, they spend more time on telling you things you can't do than the things you should do and, and, and how, and then how to practice them. And so if they can set it up that way, I'm all for them, but any group that doesn't do that, um, I, I fight it with a vengeance. Okay. So let's clarify. There are some good examples and there are some bad examples. Tip, I'll give you a bad example. No, no, I, I, I totally agree, but I'm just giving you my experience. I give you a good, good example. When I was at Eastman Kodak, one of the key things that we had to do and one of the things I was graded on was certain things that we did in our departments or our groups or our functions, so in marketing. And so one of the things we should do is, is make sure that the people that report to us, I, ha- I needed to push for in- inclusiveness and diversity. So 70% of the people that reported to me were women or people of color, which is almost unheard mm-hmm. of. Now, That matched, though, the kinds of audiences that I was selling to. The chief, you know, the chief uh, photographer and the, and the, the and, chief image officer in a family was typically a woman. And we were very high in terms of uh, diversity of, of various uh, ethnic groups. So it was 70%. Well, um, well, one of the things that I also get graded on is I have to heat, hit certain levels in order to get my bone as well. So I had to play well with others. I had to grow the market by this, grow market share by this, and uh, margins by this, and, and, um, and build brand value. But one of the things I was judged on was the people mm-hmm. of my, my function. And the head of HR came to me and actually told me that I was too high 
And because I was too high, meaning I'd done too good of a job, I wouldn't get a bonus that year. You know, that's just, that's just on a personal level. Mm. Because mm. I, I over-indexed in women and people of color that I under-indexed in white males of 40, between 40 and 50 years old. And because of that, I, you know, I was doing a bad job. And I said, you had to be nuts. I'm leading. I'm, I'm the most visible person in the world. I'm leading every group. I'm the only comp- department in the entire company that's achieving these kinds of goals. And you're telling me I'm doing a bad job. Yeah, I, you know, get out of my office. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. you go. That's a bad example. Do you still, okay, do you still think that you were right in that situation? Absolutely. What do you do? Without question. Okay. I do the okay. same thing. Oh, I Got do the it. same exact thing over. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. Moving on. We all have people around us who we look up to. For you, such a person was a mentor of yours whose name is John Timer, and he had a profound impact on you as a leader. How did he help you to evolve as a leader? You know, John, John passed a, about a year and a half ago. Um, John was a former state legislator. He was owned an insurance agency. John was, I'm a Democrat, just so we were clear. John was a Republican. So we didn't always see eye to eye on the issues. But what I loved about John is was his integrity about what he believed in and his values. And when I saw the, that sometimes he could take shortcuts, he wouldn't because of his values or his integrity. And I saw many examples of where it hurt him in his business or it might have hurt him publicly because he was a public official. But yet he believed it to be right. And I, I was so impressed by that, that he, one, became a, a great mentor to me. He was also one of my very best friends. And um, he just, you know, when you see people or get to experience people like that, they're, they're profound in your life. You'd never want to forget those people. And so John, John is one of those people. And he, he was a stand, standby kind of guy. So a really good guy. And a great business person, mm-hmm. too. He made a, had a hell of a business, made money every year. Did, you know, but did the right things. That's, you don't always see that every day. True. All right. Now I would like to talk about uh, Celebrity Apprentice, obviously. So you, Jeffrey, <laughs> you appeared as a guest celebrity judge on NBC's Celebrity Apprentice for three seasons. It was such a legendary show. Do you keep in touch with any of the participants? Yes, I, I talked to a lot of the stars that were on there have, have become friends over the years. So I've I've kept up with them, whether it's like Cindy Lauper or I just uh, her in concert. Yeah, oh, she's awesome. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. Of course, she had a great run on uh, on Broadway with Kinky Boots, and she's just a she's a really talented individual. But yeah, with many, as I said, Pierce Morgan. One of the best friendships that I got out of there was was two people. One was uh, Trace Adkins, the country western singer. He and I have uh, gotten together numerous times, and then. Uh, another good friend who has really become a close friend of mine is Penn Gillette from mm-hmm. Penn and Teller. Um, oh, literally every, you know, I'm, I'm in, uh, yeah, he's, well, he's just a smart guy. Now here's another, there's another guy who I don't see eye to eye on, you know, he and I uh, see differently when it comes to religion, but we've, we've really good friends, you know, uh, and, and we have good conversations and good debates and that's, and that's how we got to know each other. We, we actually met before the show on stage uh, where we were being interviewed in Las Vegas at a, at a big conference. And then the next year, there he was on the show, which was kind of cool. And so we've, been, we've become friends and stayed friends. But there's many, many, many people. And even the president himself, you know, Donald Trump, I, I talk to frequently still. 
Right. Yeah, I would like to talk about uh, your friendship a little bit more. So everyone knows that you're a friend of Donald Trump and you have known each other for many years. What are the three main things that you admire about him as a businessman? One of the things that you see is that the people who have worked for him have worked. Well, well let me let me back, back up. Sure. I think he's batshit crazy. That's one. You know, as a president, <laughs> he should be doing different things. I'd say I say that to him when I talk to him. But at the same time, he's still the president. So I guess he gets to do what he wants. But from a business perspective, one of the things I always liked about him was that whenever you talk to people that work for him, they all liked him a great deal. They loved him. Two, they worked for him for a long, long, long time. It was not uncommon to find most people who had worked there 20 or 30 years or, or, or even longer. And you can't, you know, I'll use the language of probably going to get you a big E next to your name, but you can't be an asshole, you know, and have people work for you for that long. There's got to be something there. And then I'll tell you the third thing that's related to his children, but it's also related to business. So it's a personal business side. Is of all the kids you would think that would be screwed up, you would think his kids would be, and yet they live a pretty, pretty for the most part, a pretty normal life. And um, and I've always respected that they were they were always you know you say what you want, and the media does certain things to the way they portray people, but they've uh, they were courteous, they're always nice, they're polite, they're smart, you know, and and um, and they do a lot with their dad and their business, and they work with them side by side. And you don't see that in family operations like that. Marlboro Man is asking, would you vote for him in 2020? I didn't vote for him last time, so we'll see who the new candidates are. So even though he's a friend, <laughs> I didn't think he was the most... Even though he's a friend, let's be clear, I didn't think he was the most qualified candidate. And if he, and if he was standing here today, I'd say the same thing. I thought there were other candidates that were more qualified, um, and the, obviously those candidates didn't win. But nonetheless, uh, we'll, see who's, we'll see who's up for the next thing. A long way to go till till November two two thousand twenty twenty. So yeah, true, true. Uh, I'm more interested in business stuff. And before we wrap up, I would like to talk about one of your businesses and uh, actually the thing that you mentioned earlier about kids in business. So both of your kids are working for Tall Grass PR. Uh, the company where you are a chairman, and also I, I believe they are playing an important role in your other projects. Whose decision was that they would work in the family business? Um, well, it, it, although I do own a majority of the company, it's still not quite family business, but a little bit of family business. Um, my son does mm -hmm. everything that's related to anything with my brand. So he is an exec and mostly in the television and our media stuff that we're doing because that's her natural proclivity for that. Um, they decided that, you know, obviously, you know, it's always great to have your family members next to you. Yeah, there's good news and bad news when your children work with you. You know, you have to separate when you're dad and when you're boss. I always try to put one person between them and harm's way at all times. So I, I like to have them reported to other people so that, you know, I can be boss when I'm working and I can be dad when we're not. And I think that's an important uh, distinction. Would you like them to manage the company or all the businesses when you retire? Absolutely. We still have businesses at that time without question but they but let's be clear they manage them today they each of the managers you know millions of dollars of business today and uh, do a really good job of it yeah great if there are no questions in the next few minutes uh we'll wrap up the show and um thank you jeffrey for your time and for 
creating podcasts and for being such a huge advocate for podcasts too. My last question would be uh, the future of the Hero Factor. Do you have any concrete plan for the Hero Factor as a podcast? Yeah, we're going well, we're going to continue to expand it. It's obviously it's a great onboarding tool for our Hero Club in terms of people to find out more about um, what we're doing and we'll pledge of, um, you know, our intent is to have many hundreds of thousands of business owners uh, and into the millions at some point sign the pledge that says that they'll take care of their communities, take care of their employees, their customers, and to, to start putting, you know, people in terms of making position in the business in a way that we think is sustainable, uh, not only for our country, but for every country around the And we're going to take the hero factor more global. Today, it's primarily a U.S. Um, or English-based podcast, and we'd like to expand that uh, to in other languages. Oh, that's exciting. What's your next language? Well, the one that the one that gets the most listeners. <laughs> oh, okay. Mandarin. Yeah, well, that would be that would be phenomenal um, in terms of that marketplace. Uh, again, it it all depends about opportunities. As you learn in the podcast world, where you think it might go, it goes a different thing. I mean, when I first started out in podcasts, I had to do an hour long podcast, and I had you know blocks of time just like a broadcast show, and I learned really mm-hmm. quickly that was stupid. That was very stupid, you know. <laughs> um, and and if you've ever had to do it, like although you know, we're going for hour here but it's it's not normally an easy thing to do you know, especially in the interview to to go for a solid hour like that yeah, yeah not to mention it's just tough to line up guests to give you that much time you know mm-hmm. yeah true i think since we don't have any more questions that's a wrap for the show you were listening to the pod bites i'm valentina caladina and here also was my colleague ariel nissenblad Hey. Uh, we were joined by Jeffrey Hazlett, who is a global <laughs> business celebrity, speaker, best-selling author and chairman and CEO of C-Suite Network, which is home of the world's most trusted network of C-Suite leaders. Jeffrey, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you. I appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for listening and asking questions. Please make sure you subscribe to the show. You can click on the show picture. There is a follow button. Please make sure you click it so you will receive push notification when we go live next time. Also, you can see the upcoming live shows on the live cast page of CastBox. Use the app, call in, ask questions, and interact with your favorite hosts. We'll see you next week. Bye.